In John chapter 3, Jesus uses the imagery of wind to describe how God's Spirit works in this world and works in our lives. He says, the wind moves as it pleases. You can hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from, nor can you tell where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The Bible often uses metaphorical language to help us understand things that we have trouble understanding on our own. For instance, God uses metaphors to describe himself. In the scripture, he's called our rock. He's called our father. He's called our shepherd and even light in the midst of darkness. In the New Testament, Jesus uses metaphors to describe the relationship that we're supposed to have with him. He's the vine and we're the branches. He's the door, the gate that we're supposed to walk through. He's the lamb that was slain in our place. The Bible uses these images as a lens for us to look through so that we can better understand our God. So if the Holy Spirit is described as wind, what does that mean for us? Well, wind is one of the few things in life we understand as both physical and non-physical at the same time. You can't really touch the wind or grab it. You can't really package it, but you don't deny its existence. You know it's there. You can see its effects, its influence all around you. So if that's how God's Spirit works, what does that mean for us? Well, we're not supposed to run from the wind or be scared of the wind or hide from it. No, how are we supposed to relate to it? We're supposed to catch the wind. We're supposed to move with God's Spirit, keep in step with Him, let Him take us where we couldn't go on our own. When my family first moved to Oklahoma, we wanted to check out different parts of this new state which we now called home. About a year or so after we moved here, we went to the small town of Pahuska. We were able to visit different parts of Drummond Ranch, and then we saw what you now see behind me, rows and rows of windmills. And I remember my kids looking at those windmills and just being awestruck. They weren't used to seeing structures like that. We don't have many wind farms back where I come from. And so my son, who was six years old at the time, looked at me and said, Daddy, what do those do? And I remember thinking, how do you explain to a six-year-old what a windmill does exactly? But I tried my best. I was like, well, there are these massive machines, instruments that collect the wind, and as they catch the wind, the wind empowers them to produce something, to produce something that we need, electricity. And as I explained to him what a windmill does, I remember him just being awestruck, thinking, that is so cool. And honestly, when you think about it, that's how God's Spirit works in our lives. You see, a lot of people misunderstand and for that matter, misuse the Holy Spirit. They see God's Spirit as a tool or an instrument that they use to accomplish their own purposes. But the Holy Spirit, He isn't a tool that we use. He isn't the windmill, He's the wind. He's the power moving the blades of our lives. We're the windmill, we're the instrument that God empowers and propels to produce something that the world needs, the life-changing message and love of His Son. When we allow ourselves to be used by God, He will enable us to change lives and change the world. But here's what we have to keep in mind. Just as a windmill without the wind serves no purpose, the same is true for a church that isn't empowered by God's Spirit. A church that isn't propelled by the Holy Spirit 
well, it's nothing more than a social club. It's nothing more than a mere decoration on the landscape of our culture. And that's not what Jesus intended his church to be. See, Jesus intended his church to be an unstoppable force in this world. In fact, he says in Matthew chapter 16, that he will build his church and all the powers of hell will not be able to overcome it. See, we're here to unleash God's love on this world, to bring healing to those who are hurting, to bring hope to those who are hopeless, to shine light in the midst of the darkness. And when the world is at its worst, it needs the church at its best. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. In spite of persecution, hardship, intimidation, and pressure, the church in its earliest days continued to grow and spread to the point that by the end of the first century, Jesus is known all over the world. And the reason why the church had this success wasn't because they had endless resources or the most brilliant leaders or the best strategic plans. The reason why the church was able to have influence all over the Roman Empire was because they were empowered by God's Spirit. And here's the thing, we don't believe that the Holy Spirit is finished yet working in His church. But in order for Him to do so, it might require a change or a shift in our thinking. We need to stop seeing God's Spirit as an instrument or a tool that we use to accomplish our purposes, but rather as our daily source of power, strength, and direction. As Romans 8:14 declares, the true children of God are those who let God's Spirit lead them. See, at First Church, we believe that the Holy Spirit hasn't retired. He's still moving. He's still active in the world around us. In fact, we believe the wind is blowing like never before. And when we see ourselves as God's instruments ready for Him to use, his Spirit will empower and use us like never before. We don't want to be a church that's just a scenic decoration on the horizon of history, merely taking up space. We want to be a church that catches the wind, that God produces something in and through us that the world needs right now, the life-changing message of His Son. We want to be a people who are ready for the fresh wind that God wants to blow in our midst. So First Church, it's my prayer that God's Spirit energizes us to love Jesus and love like Jesus throughout Northeast Oklahoma and beyond in a way like we have never experienced before. And it's my hope that that's your prayer as well. But if you're praying that prayer for God to use your life this church in a way like he never has before. Are you ready for that? Are you ready truly to be led, energized, and empowered by God's Spirit? Yes. Because here's the thing, in 1 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. In other words, following Jesus, being part of his church, being part of his kingdom, living out his mission, it's not a matter of just saying the right stuff, just talking about the right things. No, it's about God's Spirit living in you and working through you to change the world around you. See, God wants to live in you and transform you to be the person that He created you to be, but He also wants to use you to change lives, to change the culture around you. That's what we're here to do. 
Because you see, as God's people, as his church, we're not just the people of God. We are the empowered people of God, meaning we have God's spirit on our side. And he wants to use us to fight all the forces of evil that are working in this world. And we know that as long as we are catching the wind and being led by God's spirit, Nothing will be able to stop our mission. Nothing will be able to keep us from doing us what God is calling us to do. As the Bible promises in 1 John 4 verse 4, it says, God's spirit who is in you, in us, is greater than the devil who is in the world. And I believe the first church, they understood this As we study the book of Acts, we see this. They were an unstoppable force because they believe greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world. And when you see the church continuing to grow and prosper in spite of persecution and hardship and difficulties in the first century, it's not just an amazing thing, it's a miraculous thing because it only happened because God's spirit was with them and empowering them. See, honestly, if you were to take a snapshot of first century culture, and if I were to ask you, hey, let's take bets on who we will be talking about 2,000 years later, either the Roman Empire or the church. I mean, think about it if you were an outsider with no context whatsoever. I mean, look at the Roman Empire with all of its military might and strength and the territories that it owned and all of its weaponry. I mean, think about it just for a second. The Roman Empire ruled the entire world, probably the greatest empire that ever existed. Would you put your money on the Roman Empire or would you put your money on this fringe little group known as the church? A bunch of people who are following some itinerant preacher who grew up in Nazareth, a podunk town, This itinerant preacher who was later put to death by the Romans on a cross. Who would you put your money on? The Roman Empire or this fringe group known as the church? I'm sure if we were looking at it from the outside with no context, we would say the Roman Empire. And yet today, 2,000 years later, you can go and you can visit the ruins of Rome. But 2,000 years later, on this very day, Millions upon millions upon millions of people are gathered to celebrate and live out the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's just not incredible and amazing. It's nothing short of miraculous. Time and time again, Satan has tried to stop and hinder and stall the church of the living God. But he has failed. Time and time again. Because we're not living by our own strength. We're not following our own plans. We are those who are led, directed, and propelled by God's Spirit. And I wonder if that's the case for you today. Because here's the thing. Yes, God's Spirit wants to lead us and God's Spirit wants to empower us. But the choice is ours. In your own personal life today, are you being led by God's Spirit? Are you keeping in step with His Spirit As a church today, are we truly a church that's being led by God's Spirit, empowered and directed by Him? Because here's the thing. There's a major difference between talking about God's Spirit and surrendering the direction of your life to God's Spirit. It's easy to talk the talk. And in the church, we talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. We sing about God's Spirit. We even pray that God's Spirit will empower us. But it's one thing to talk about the Spirit. It's another thing to actually surrender your life to His leading. Because you can fake it. You can play a part. 
You could act like that you're being led by God's Spirit when, all, when in all reality what you're doing is just following your own agenda and living by your own strength. You may remember this, but a few years ago, there was a Weather Channel reporter who was covering Hurricane Florence. And if you look at this video right here, you can tell he's fighting the wind that is present in this hurricane. And he's fighting against it. The wind's getting ready to knock him down. It's getting ready to knock him over. I mean, some fierce winds here he's up against in this video. That is until the camera pans out and you see a couple of teenagers walking just fine behind him. <laughs> Apparently, the wind wasn't near as strong as he was letting on. And sometimes we can act like the Spirit is really moving in our midst when in all reality we're just accomplishing what we can do in our own strength, in our own strength alone. My question is, is your life today truly being led by God's Spirit? Because guys, we're not here to take up space. We're not here just to pay the rent. We're not here to buy time until we die and then go and be with God. We're not here to be a mere decoration on the horizon of history. We are here for a reason. We are here for a purpose. And God's church, when it is empowered by the Spirit, we will reclaim the world for God with the good news of His Son. That's why we're here. And the early church that we read about in the book of Acts, they got that. They understood that. We see that being played out all throughout Acts, but especially towards the end, as we look at the life and the ministry of this guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. Boy, if there's ever anyone who caught the wind, it was the Apostle Paul. But here's the thing. Paul went through a season where he didn't catch the wind. There was a time in Paul's life when he fought the wind, when he went against what God wanted him to do. In fact, Paul, back when he was known as Saul from Tarsus, well, he persecuted the church. He tried to stop and hinder the church's mission. That is until Jesus got a hold of him. And we see at one point Jesus speaks to Saul, and look at what he says. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I want you to notice something there. Was Saul actually physically attacking Jesus? No, Jesus already sent into heaven at this point. No, he's attacking Jesus' people. And Jesus says, you mess with my people, you mess with me. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You are hurting yourself by kicking against the goats. Now, if you don't understand that imagery, kicking against the goats, that's like when you try to lead an animal, try to lead livestock with a prod or with a stick that has, you know, a sharp point on the end of it. And if that animal were to kick back at that sharp point, it's going to hurt. And so here what Jesus is saying is, hey, I'm trying to lead you. I'm trying to guide you. I'm trying to propel your life where it needs to go. But you're kicking against me and you're only hurting yourself. Let me ask, you ever been there? You ever known what God wanted you to do or had a hint of what God wanted you to do and you've just been resisting over and over and over again and all you've done is hurt yourself? You ever been there? I have. Paul was fighting against God's spirit. But eventually, Paul catches the wind. This man named Ananias preaches to Paul, teaches Paul about Jesus, who Jesus is. And after he explains to Paul who Jesus is and explains to Paul what God wants him to do with his life, I think Ananias says something pretty interesting. Look at what he says. He says, you will be his God's witness to all men of what you've seen and heard. And then look at what Ananias says. He says, and now, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. In other words, Paul, you know what you believe. 
Your heart's been convicted. What are you waiting on? Why are you stalling? Do what you need to do. Catch the wind. Get up. Be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And maybe that's what some of you guys need to hear today. Maybe what you need to hear today is, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting for? You know what you need to do. Do it. Catch the wind. Maybe it's accepting Jesus for the very first time and surrendering your life to him and being baptized, washing your sins away, calling on his name just like Paul needed to do. Or maybe you accepted Jesus years ago, but you're not serving him in the way that you know he wants you to serve. What are you waiting on? Do what God is calling you to do. And Paul responded in this moment by being baptized. And the scripture says that from that day on, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning he was led by God's Spirit. God's Spirit was directing his life. He caught the wind. And so what Paul does with the rest of his life, he introduces people to Jesus. In fact, the book of Acts records three different major missionary journeys that Paul went on. And he told people who had never heard about Jesus about Jesus. And then as we get to the end of the book of Acts, after Paul wraps up his last missionary journey, he then decides to go to the city of Jerusalem, which was the capital city of the Jewish people, because he wants to tell his own people one more time about Jesus. And while he's there... He has a huge crowd that wants to hear from him, that listens to what he's preaching. But there's a lot of people there that don't like what Paul's saying. And so this mob is formed, and they're all against him, and the Jewish authorities arrest him, and they place him in prison. And now Paul is in prison awaiting a trial. And as he's in prison, God speaks to him again, and listen to what God tells Paul. He says to him, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now, Rome was the capital city of the entire empire. Rome was where Caesar lived. And God tells Paul, just, if you, just as you have been testifying about me here in Jerusalem, you will testify about me in the capital of the Roman Empire. And so Paul does take courage. And I'm sure at this moment when Paul hears this, he's probably thinking, okay, I know how this is going to work out. God's going to find a way for me to get out of my chains, for me to be released from my imprisonment, and then I'm going to get to go to Rome as a free man, and I'm going to get to preach Jesus in the streets, and we can start churches and baptize people, and it's going to be just awesome. I'm sure that's what Paul assumed. In fact, if you were reading this for the first time, you would probably think the same thing. God's going to work this out so Paul can get out of prison, and then he can go to Rome and do what God is asking him to do. But that's not how it works out. In fact, Paul, he goes through trial after trial after trial, and basically the Roman authorities don't know, don't know what to do with him. Because, you see, Paul is a Roman citizen, and Roman citizens have rights. Not everyone who lived in the empire was a citizen, and he had special rights, and basically he hasn't broken any laws. And so the Jews want him dead, and the Roman officials want to please the Jews, but they can't really execute him, so he just waits. And for two years... He is imprisoned in the city of Caesarea in a Roman prison cell, just waiting to see what's going to happen next. And Paul starts to realize, hey, God promised that I was going to go to Rome, but he didn't say how I was going to get to Rome. I thought maybe I was going to go to Rome as a free man. Paul starts to realize he's going to go to Rome as a prisoner in chains. And so Paul does something. He appeals 
to Caesar, the scripture says. And this was a right that only a Roman citizen had. Again, not everyone was a Roman citizen who lived in the empire. Only special elite people were Roman citizens. And Paul, because of his family background, had this citizenship. And Roman citizens were allowed to appeal to Caesar if they thought they were, they were receiving an unfair trial. And so he appeals to Caesar, who's not just the emperor, but he's also the Supreme Court. And basically, he had one more shot. He could plead his case before Caesar, and Caesar could give him a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And if he got the thumbs down, he was probably going to get death. But he knew this was his way to get to Rome as God wanted him to go there. And so Paul appeals to Caesar. And this just reminds me of a key truth, and it's this. It reminds me that as followers of Jesus, we need to keep in mind that what God has said is what he said, and we don't need to assume We don't need to assume what God hasn't said, if you want to go on to that next slide. Because we need to pay attention to God's word. And Paul may have thought, hey, God's going to set me free from this imprisonment, but that's not what God said. God just said you're going to go to Rome. And we don't need to assume what God hasn't said. Now, that can be done on a more serious level as well. Any preacher who's worth his salt has probably had a conversation with someone (laughs) Well, they've come to him and said, hey, I think God is leading me to do something. And that preacher right away knows that what that person is supposedly being led to do isn't of God. I kid you not, and other preachers have had similar experiences. I had a guy one time tell me that God was leading him to leave his wife, get a divorce, and marry someone else. And as I'm listening to him, I'm thinking, that's not what God is telling you to do. I had somebody... One time tell me, a guy who at one time was preparing for the ministry say, hey, I think God wants me. It's okay with God if I go ahead and I am sexually active with my girlfriend before we get married because I think God wants me to test out this relationship to make sure it's going to work. I knew right away that wasn't God's will. You know why? Because it went against what God had already said. See, how do we test the spirits that are around us to make sure we're following God's spirit? Because the Bible says that test the spirits. Make sure the spirit that you're following is God's spirit and not false spirits that are out there. How do we make sure that we are keeping in step with God's spirit? The Bible tells us, Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, how is it that we make sure that we are truly following God's spirit, that what we feel like we're being led to do is in line with what God truly wants us to do? We ask ourselves, does it line up with what God has already said? Because if we feel like we're being led to do something that goes against what God has already said, it's not of God. See, the Bible is the inspired word of God. The word that's used in this passage is God-breathed, meaning God has breathed his very breath into it, his very life breath into it. And every time you open up the pages of Scripture, you're not opening up a dead document. You're opening up the presence of the Holy Spirit. So anytime you feel led to do something, if you want to know if it's of God, does it align with what God has already said? Because remember what Galatians says, Galatians says in Galatians 5, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That means we actually have to make sure that we're keeping in step with what the Spirit wants us to do. Actually taking the steps that the Spirit wants us to take. So Paul realizes, hey, God didn't say I was going to go to Rome as a free man. I just need to get to Rome. He appeals to Caesar and they put him on this 
ship that was just for prisoners and guards. And they take him off to Rome and they try to get him on this ship prior to the winter weather hitting because in this day and age, you didn't travel during the winter time. The seas were way too rough. And so the local officials try to send this ship off full of prisoners before the winter weather hit, but they were too late. As they're out on the open sea, this storm comes upon Paul and those who are traveling with him. And look at what the book of Acts says about this storm. It says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Now this we here is Luke, who also wrote the gospel of Luke. He's writing the book of Acts, one of Paul's traveling companions. And Luke says, we gave up all hope. We thought we were all going to die. The prisoners thought they were going to die. The guards thought they were going to die. The ship's captain thought they were going to die. And even Paul's own traveling companions, missionary companions, thought they were all going to die. The only one that doesn't think they're going to die is Paul. Because remember, God has already told Paul, you got to get to Rome. And so Paul has faith in his God in this moment. And he tells the other prisoners and he tells the guards and everybody else who's on the ship, we got to trust God. My God is with us, and if we place our trust in him and do what he tells us to do, we will be saved. We will not die. See, what does Paul do in this moment? Paul, in the midst of his storm, looks to God, and that's what we've got to do. Because catching the wind doesn't mean life's going to be easy. In fact, catching the wind oftentimes means we're going to experience rough waters. We're going to experience storms. Paul's only in this situation because he was obedient to God. And so when we experience storms, we don't give up. But we look to God in the midst of the storm, and God will get us through it. That's what Paul does, and he tells the other prisoners, hey, trust in my God. Because Paul understands that divine detours lead to ministry opportunities. Hey, it may be a detour by our judgment, but maybe exactly what God wanted. And he's going to use it as an opportunity, and that's what happens. After Paul tells all the prisoners and the guards and everybody on the ship about his God, the Bible goes on to say they were all encouraged. Divine detours lead to ministry opportunities. And so they end up being saved. Now, they're shipwrecked, and they're shipwrecked, and they have to swim basically to an island that they'd never been to, the island of Malta, but they still all live. Not one passenger on this ship dies, just as Paul had said. And so they get to this island called Malta, and they're cold, and they're wet, and so the locals from this island try to help them build this massive fire so that they can stay warm. And Paul is helping out. He's picking up wood to try to build this fire. And as he's picking up wood, there's a snake underneath some of the wood that he's carrying. It's a poisonous viper. And this viper latches onto Paul's hand, bites Paul. Guys, Paul can't catch a break here, can he? I mean, think about it. He's been imprisoned, and now he's on a ship to Rome, and there's a huge storm that comes, and everybody thinks they're going to die, and then they're shipwrecked, and now they're on some island they've never been to, and Paul's just trying to build a fire so he can keep warm, and a poisonous viper bites him. Paul can't catch a break. And everybody who's watching looks at Paul and says, God must not be with him. He must be an evil, wicked man. In fact, that's exactly what the Bible says. It says, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from Paul's hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. 
See, Paul couldn't believe what everybody else around him was saying. And anytime you try to do God's will, there are always going to be those who want to discourage you and disparage you. There are going to be people who are going to try to place a false identity on you and say, he's not really doing God's will. She's not really trying to follow God. And they say things about you that are false. And as Paul is standing there with this snake attached to his hand, and everybody around him is saying things about him that aren't true, that are false, you know what Paul does? He just says, haters going to hate, 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 hate. I just got to shake it off, shake it off. And his words later became the words to a popular hymn that Taylor Swift wrote. So we can sing it next Sunday in church if you want to. I'm kidding. Okay, I'm kidding. No, Paul doesn't listen to the voices around him. He listens to God and God alone. You see, catching the wind means listening to God's voice above all other voices. And there are a lot of voices out there that are trying to get us to go in different directions. But we've got to make sure we're listening to the one voice that matters. Because there's a whole lot of noise out there. If you're single today, our culture is going to tell you, you need to be sexually active in order to live a full life. If you're not sexually active, you're not really living. Even though God's word says that the only way to live a full life is to have intimacy with him. And it doesn't matter how sexually active you are. If you don't have a healthy relationship with God, you will end up feeling empty in the end. Our culture will tell you that your self-worth is determined by your net worth. But here's the thing. You can get all the money and toys and stuff and homes and everything else that this world has to offer, but then you die, and if that's all you have, you end up with nothing. Our culture will say, hey, just do whatever makes you feel happy. The problem is happiness that this world offers us, it is temporary and fleeting. It's here one day and gone the the next. And God says, if you truly want to experience happiness and joy, it starts with holiness. It starts with doing life my way. And when you do life my way, you will experience lasting, eternal happiness and joy. And our culture says that your contentment is based on who wins the next election. Now, don't misunderstand me. I believe as Christians, we are responsible for voting according to our Christian morals and principles. And we need to vote according to our Christian morals and principles. But our contentment is not based on who's in the White House or who's in Congress or who's in the governor's mansion. Our contentment is based on the fact that Jesus Christ is on the eternal throne. And guys... If the church can continue to grow and spread and influence the entire Roman Empire, when you had guys like Nero and Domitian as emperor, then the church can continue to change our culture today, no matter who's in the White House. We've got to be listening to the one voice that really matters. And that's what Paul does. And eventually... Paul gets to Rome. In fact, in Acts 28, 14, after Paul boards another ship, it says, and so 
We came to Rome. Now, that's a really simple statement. Six little words. There's a whole lot in those six little words. It took Paul a long time to get to Rome, but he finally did. He made it there. And once he gets there, we find out that the court system is backed up. So he doesn't get to automatically appear before Caesar and make his case. In fact, the Bible tells us that Paul is placed under house arrest while he awaits trial before Caesar. And he's under house arrest for two years waiting to see Caesar. Now, here's the thing. We don't know if Paul ever got to appear before Caesar. The book of Acts ends saying he was under house arrest for two years, and we never know if he ever got to actually see Caesar. And according to history, we don't believe he did. He was set free before he ever had to await trial. But for two years, he's under house arrest. And I want you to think about that just for a second. You might be thinking, well, house arrest, that's not too bad. At least he wasn't in a Roman dungeon cell, a Roman prison. But house arrest in this day and age, it was a little bit different than house arrest in our day. See, they didn't have ankle monitors and bracelets and all that kind of stuff for you to wear for them to keep track of you. You were chained, literally chained, to a Roman soldier, to a Roman guard 24-7. You could not go to the bathroom. You could not lay down at night and go to sleep. You could not take a bath without being chained to a Roman soldier. That's how they kept tabs on you. That's what Paul experienced for two years waiting to see Caesar. And look what the Bible says about this. It says, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it hits me when I read these very last words of the book of Acts. What hits me are the two words, without hindrance. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached Jesus. What do you mean without hindrance? What do you mean without hindrance? Paul's been hindered since he first started following Jesus. Everybody's been out to get him. And then especially during this trip to Rome, after everything he experienced, I mean, trials and false accusations and then a storm on the sea and a shipwreck. And then he's on this island he's never been to before and he's bit by a snake. And then eventually he makes it to Rome and now he's under house arrest for two years waiting to see Caesar. What do you mean without hindrance? But we have to keep in mind is that just because you didn't plan on something doesn't mean it's not part of God's plan. And we see that's exactly what happens in Paul's life. If Paul had a choice, I'm sure that Paul would have wanted to be free out in the streets preaching about Jesus and starting churches and baptizing people and all that stuff. But instead, he's under house arrest for two years and God uses that. And God allows for Paul to have more influence than he would have had if he was a free man in Rome. Let me tell you what I mean. First of all, Paul is able to entertain guests, which is something that not every prisoner got to do, but apparently the guards that were watching Paul didn't care. And so Paul was able to entertain guests, and so Christians from all over, all over Rome and all over the world would come and see Paul. And by, eight, by him being able to teach them and tell them about Jesus, they were then encouraged and strengthened, and they then went out and told other people about Jesus. So instead of it being just one man, Paul, going out and starting churches and encouraging other people, Paul is able to send out hundreds, if not thousands of people to go and tell others about the gospel, and the gospel grew exponentially. But not only that, Paul being in prison under house arrest in Rome was able to write letters. We now call them the books of our New Testament. 
And so 2,000 years later, we are still being encouraged and challenged and motivated by the letters that Paul wrote while he was under house arrest, while he was in chains. Paul has had influence for 2,000 years because God inspired him while he was under house arrest to write the pages of Scripture that are still inspiring us today. And one of those letters that Paul wrote was a letter to the church in Philippi. We call it our book of Philippians. And I want you to notice what Paul says when he starts off this letter. He says, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, talking about his imprisonment, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Did you catch that? Who's the whole palace guard? This is the royal guard. These are the guys who are chained to Paul. And Paul says, hey, if I'm going to be chained to them, I'm going to teach them about Jesus. And so the whole palace guard, the whole royal guard knows about Jesus because of Paul. And then look what he goes on to say. Because of my chains, most of the brothers of the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Again, that's that exponential growth. Paul sent out people to go and tell others about Jesus. God used his house arrest. But then we read an even more cool line at the end of this letter. Look at what Paul says at the very end of Philippians. The brothers and sisters who are with me, talking about the Christians who are with him, send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. All the brothers and sisters, all of God's people send their greetings, especially those brothers and sisters who are members of Caesar's family. Did you catch that? By being under house arrest in Rome, Paul was able to infiltrate Caesar's own household with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How cool is that? He was given an opportunity by God that he could not have created or manufactured on his own. All this happened not by accident, but it happened because Paul was God's instrument, ready to be used in whatever way God wanted to use him. And here's what we can take from this. God will never take you where he cannot use you. God will never take you where he cannot use you. And so let me ask, what spot in your life right now, what place in your life do you need to catch the wind that you've been resisting? Because when you get to the point that you have the attitude or the perspective of Paul, you say, God, I'm your instrument, and I will be used in whatever way you want to use me so that I can produce what you want me to produce. When you finally get to that point and you catch the wind, as you move with God, you will see that nothing can stop what God has put in motion. So as a gift today, as you leave, if you're here on site, we have little pinwheels for everyone. We got these in this week, and I wanted to pass them out so you could take one home with you, put it somewhere, maybe out in your flower bed, maybe somewhere in your house as a reminder that you are God's instrument. But when we got these in this week, I went ahead and took a couple a little bit early and took them home to my kids. That's one of the perks of being a preacher's kid. So I took a couple of these pinwheels home to my kids, and I gave them to Alex and Addie. And Addie, my three-year-old, as soon as she saw hers, she looked at it, her face lit up, and she looked at me and she said, Daddy, do you know how this works? 
And I was thinking, yeah, baby girl, I know how it works. I've used a pinwheel before. But I let her tell me. She said, look, Daddy, this is how it works. And then she started to blow. And she would just laugh and giggle as she would see it spin around. Yeah, I knew how a pinwheel worked. It's pretty simple, actually. It's not that complicated, but sometimes we need simple reminders, don't we? It's pretty simple how God intended his church to influence the world. Let his spirit lead us. We just need to catch the wind. We need to remember we're the instrument that God wants to empower, and when we let his spirit turn the blades of our life, we will produce something that we could not produce on our own. It's actually pretty simple. We're the ones that make it complicated. Maybe you need the reminder today of who God is calling you to be. Because when you do catch the wind, when you move with God's spirit, you will see that what he has set in motion cannot be stopped. We're not here to be a decoration on the horizon of history. We are here to change the world. And God's spirit is ready to empower us to do just that. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for today and this time we've had to open up your word and to be challenged and encouraged by it. And Father, I just pray that we will be your instruments ready to be used by you, that we will not see your spirit as a tool or an instrument that we just use whenever we want to accomplish our own agendas, but that we will see him as our daily power source and we will be ready every single day to be used by him. So today I just pray that you empower this church to have influence throughout the 918 in Northeast Oklahoma, across our country and across the globe, that you will empower us in ways like you never have before. In the name of Jesus I pray, amen.